I shake the dust off my dreams as I wake into reality. Going infinite to finite, driving race cars and rescuing damsels in distress, I open my eyes and see a whole lot less. It's not discouraging, however, for my time has not yet come. Many times, many faces, many chances, many places haven't yet rested on my doorstep. I guess I should just pray and keep my eyes focused on what I plan to be. By being true to myself, it's safe for no one else and my tapestry will be a beautiful thing to see. C-sweet lady, won't you be my sweet love for a lifetime? I'll be there when you need me. Just call and receive me. Da 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 Whatever. C-sweet lady, won't you be my sweet love for a lifetime? I spent all that time in New Jersey with you, and apparently that time just didn't serve you. I mean, it was just a couple of days, but it felt real special to me. Perception is reality, as I've heard over and over and over again from my ex-wife on. One day I was sitting in my house, and I get a text message. And it's a picture of C-Sweet Lady and a former co-worker that we both had. I recognized her sneakers, because they were the sneakers she was wearing the night that we hung out. I think they were Bally's. She's looking all nice and thick. I was like, oh, cool. Well, when are you leaving? And she said, oh, I'm back in New York. You're uh, back in New York? She said, yeah, it was just a real quick hop. I had a day meeting. I came and I went. She said, I was in yesterday. I left first thing this morning. I was like, it's evening the next day. You didn't want to, you didn't want to let me know at all she was like no no I mean it was just real quick it was real quick and I was moving real fast and I just you know kind of moved through she then proceeded to list out all of our mutual former co-workers that she went to visit and that she ran out of time and you know for me it wasn't that she didn't visit me for me it was that she didn't let me know she was in town I know game I don't necessarily play game because as I've shared with people, women, women who try to beat men at their own game typically lose, not because men are better, but because men aren't playing games. They're just doing what they do. So I say all that to say, so you're practicing to beat someone who does something naturally. No matter how hard I practice, I'm never going to outrun a cheetah because a cheetah's naturally fast. No matter how fast I get, I will get outrun and ate by a cheetah. Reality hit me like a gong in the head. And it was time for me to let go of any possibility of anything real happening with C-Sweet Lady. She was not checking for me. Whatever we had was in that time, and it would appear as if I had gotten got. She said a lot to get together with me, and once we got together, 
Maybe either she decided it wasn't worth her while, she decided it was just a thing. Maybe it was a booty call for her. Maybe it was, as some women have called it, flying in the dick. I don't know. But either way, whatever it was that we had was simply what we had. And it didn't seem as if she was interested in carrying the ball any further down the field. And it was time for me to accept that, see it for what it was, and put her back on the shelf. So if I saw her, I saw her. And if I didn't, I didn't. Welcome to the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. After getting his master's degree in getting cursed out, his second master's in getting kicked out, Eric Payne decided to pursue his doctorate in getting his life right and staying in his own lane. But upon getting all his degrees, he realized he was a fish out of water in this new dating landscape. Eric was 28 years old when he met his ex-wife and was newly divorced at 43. The world had changed considerably since the days of StarTech beepers, Motorola flip phones, and Yahoo Chat. It is vicious out here in these new streets where taking pictures of yourself all day long with a phone and posting them on the internet is actually a thing. The Dating After Divorce Survival Guide is the story of Eric's journey from love and marriage to divorce to dating to hopefully love and marriage once more. Back in 2015, when I first got divorced, I was a man defeated. I was a man broken. I was a man down on his luck. And it showed. So my boys, friends from all walks of life, back in the day and present day, were giving me advice. And all the advice seemed to follow a similar thread. And it went something like this. There are men in my life that are just giving me advice. A lot of the advice is about sex and the women. If you get around some women, some women will give you back that that good old good energy that, you know, you let your wife take away from you or that, you know, was taken away from you due to divorce. I understand. I understand. I've been there or maybe they ain't been there. But get with the right woman and they're going to put some pep in your step. They're going to have you high moving and blah, 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 blah. And my thing was, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. And why do I not want that? Because I don't want my I don't want my validation tied to a woman ever again, ever. I knew that back then, and I've carried it with me to this day. I knew back then, as broken and shattered and shell-shocked as I was, that I did not want my value, my the way I walked down the street, the, 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 the ease with which I walked, you know, that, poise, that post-coitus walk that, 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 you know, Will Smith did something about what it looks like to walk before you have sex versus what you walk like after you have sex you know you have to look on the internet for that but i didn't want my swag which is what he was talking about to be tied to a woman i had sex in my marriage and before then so i didn't need that kind of walk what i needed was a sense of value a sense a personal sense of value that was never going to be able to be taken away by another human being what you just heard is from episode five of season one of this podcast And one of the conversations that I actually had went a little something like this. Yo, bro, I'm telling you, all you got to do is have her put a little something, something on you. Just find you somebody. Find you a few somebodies. Have fun. You're single now, man. I don't know how you being single out here in these streets. All these women out here. Man, listen, have, have have a fine, honey. Put a little something, something on you. Have her take care of you on a daily. Watch what happens. 
you'll be all right. Watch what happens. And my response to that was, I don't want to do that. I don't want to be with anybody else. I want my wife. Didn't have a wife. I want my wife. I don't want no other women touching me. I'm not ready for that. It doesn't, it's not right. It doesn't feel right. I have a family. And although I'm sure I didn't sound like that, that's pretty much the spirit from which I was speaking. And what made matters worse when I had that conversation was that I was at American Pancake House in Chicago, Illinois, in Hyde Park. And American Pancake House is like any other, you know, IHOP-type spot. But in this particular one, it's kind of like a C... I wouldn't say it's a CMB scene kind of place, but it's definitely not a place where you're trying to look crazy, right? My boy was dressed whatever way he dresses, which was fine. The problem with your boy, host of the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide, is that I was dressed like a gardener. And I don't mean a gardener, you know, today, you know, jumpsuit, dayglow vest, and a cap. No. I had on khaki shorts that were too big because I was misshapen with, I had lost weight but got a belly, somehow. Um, I can't say that my lineup game on my goatee and mustache was all that because I didn't care. I had some little train conductor hat that, you know, didn't matter. The, the kind of hat that you wear when you're cutting grass because all you're trying to do is protect yourself from the sun. You don't care what you look like. And I had on a short sleeve button up Oxford shirt. I look like my father. My father is 87 years old. Um, he's currently not gardening now, but when he used to garden, that is exactly how he looked. And the sneakers that I had on, you know what? Let me, let me, let me give credit where credit's due. I at least showed up with Chucks. But let me tell you, I was looking all kind of crazy. But despite how crazy I may have looked, and despite how crazy I may, crazy and desperate and, and, and detached from reality that I may have sounded, to my best friend from high school, my best friend slash frat brother. The one thing that was on point is that that Eric knew, somehow, somehow knew or was, was hedging an incredible bet. He was planning for future Eric. That was probably divine. So the, so the word was, I don't want my value tied to women. But more than that, because it wasn't women, I don't want my value tied to sex which is an act, an act that depends on another human being, an act that is probably, for my experiences, best experienced when you have a genuine love for someone, not when you're just trying to take. And I prefer to give rather than take. And what he was proposing to me is that I just take and take and take till, till I get my juju back. But I wouldn't be getting my juju back. I'd be getting someone else's juju, which would make me an energy vampire which was why I was all dried up and used up because all of my good juju had been siphoned off for me over the course of my marriage. Maybe not good juju, but juju. I'm not going to say it was good. It's just juju. I could not do what was done to me and I could not do to someone else what I would never want done to me. And so I chilled and I worked on me. I worked on me and I did all the things that led me up to July 7th, 2017. Hey, how you doing? My name is Eric Payne, 
and welcome to my Patreon page. So I am currently the host of the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. Your support here in this community is going to do the following. It's gonna allow me to produce exclusive content for the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. It's also gonna allow me to launch a bunch of other content series. Life of a Divorced Dad, Fatherhood in Black, and something that I'm very excited about, a docu-series called Extraordinary People. Additionally, your support on this page will give you access to a quarterly subscription box and you're gonna get first dibs and the cheapest prices on tickets for live events. Now, of course, nothing is live at this point, but when the world opens back up, things will be live. So in the meantime, they're gonna be virtual events and they're gonna be very fun. I wanna have them, they're gonna be very fun. Did I say fun? Yeah, very fun. Yeah, that's, we'll, so we're gonna have fun. Stay tuned, hope to see you on the page. Thank you. July 7th, 2017, I go into my first spin class as I've referenced previously in this podcast. My spin instructor was someone I used to run with, and he challenged me, don't try, do. He was on some Yoda mess. So I came in there, and I tried. And I was messy, and I was flabby, and I was floppy. But I showed up. I had my Superman Under Armour shirt on, and I looked super fat in it. <laughs> but I tried. Then I came back the next week with a buddy, and we had a good time. So then the week after that, because the classes were Wednesday and Saturday, he could only go on Wednesdays. That's what he told me. So I said, cool. So the next Wednesday, you coming? Nah, I'm not coming, man. So I went anyway. And then slowly but surely, I became hooked. The thing about spin was that, like pledging, and like so many other things that I've endeavored to do in my life, it was something that I was not good at. And I have a theory about me, something I've learned over the, over the last five years, is that I'm not particularly good at anything, but I'm great at trying. And I'm even better at practicing. So if there's something that I can't do, and I actually want to do it, because that's key. I've had experiences where I've tried to do something, and I'm like, eh, I don't like that. And then I don't feel bad about the fact that I'm not good at it, because I don't want to do it. But if there's something that I want to do, I become a student of it. And I start to almost obsess over learning about it. And I become very disciplined. I add it into my routine, and I become disciplined about it. Now, at this point in my life, this hadn't really been established yet. It was in its, in its nascent state. But this is how I was about spin. Spin was set to trap music, and trap music is at all these different cadences. Sometimes it's 3-8, sometimes it's 4-4. Four, four. But a lot of times it's 3-8, and sometimes the songs are, like, very short. And my spin instructor, my buddy, Dwayne Walter of Ready, Set, Great, look him up on Instagram at Ready, Set, Great, he was a master at spin, and he could do all kind of crazy stuff on the spin bike, as we called it. Up and down. I mean, he was damn near dancing on the bike. And so was everybody else in the front row of his class because they had all been in classes together, and he just happened to start teaching the class where I was at. At some point, I'm not sure when, two things happened. One, I got hooked on trap music, which is something that I never thought I would say as a 40-plus-year-old man because really wasn't my thing, didn't really like the beat, couldn't really understand what anybody was even saying. I could argue that I might possibly still not. However, I got hooked to the beat. I got hooked, hooked to the beat because I had to study the beat. I had to study the beat in order to learn how to ride the bike in accordance to the beat if I wanted to be on the front row. And the thing about it is that I didn't have a choice to be on the front row. Because what happened was, since me and Dwayne are cool, I'd say maybe like three weeks into spinning, he started moving me from the back. Why are you back there? Come up a couple, come up a couple rows. 
like being in church when church is empty and they're like if everyone could come up to the front please so he starts moving me up front slowly but surely i go from the very back row to the middle of the pack to the front row dude i don't want to be on the front row i don't know what i'm doing don't worry about it i got you don't worry about it we got you we being all the you know the the spin bike pros there were a couple ladies in there that were badass on the bike they just i don't know it was it was scary it was frightening at the time but one day it began to click. The ladies were very kind to me. They were very helpful. Sometimes I would stay after class to practice because I was just trying to find this beat. And it wasn't that I didn't have rhythm, but riding, there's two styles of riding, right? You can ride to a beat, right? But then there's this thing called double time and triple time. So it's similar to doing a double under when you jump rope. You're doing something twice on one beat. So that's when things start getting complicated. So then you have to start moving inside of beats. Not necessarily inside of the beat, but between beats. You know, it's, it's multiple movements inside of the beat. Anyway, it clicked eventually. And when it clicked, something snapped inside of me. Like for real, mentally something snapped inside of me. And what it was, was there was this, there was a break. It was, it was a mental break, but in a good way. So when most people have a mental break, you know, like they dissociate from reality, they break from something. But what I broke from was my physical limitations. Now, of course, I'm always going to be limited by my flesh. All of us are, right? But what I came to understand was that if I want to do something, I can do it if I really want to. The only thing I can't do at this point right now is fly without an airplane. But let me tell you, if some Iron Man gear, if I can figure out some way to make that Iron Man gear work, because I, I for damn sure I'm not going to fly without any kind of equipment. That's ridiculous. I'll just be a bloodstain on the street if I try to do that. But if I can figure out a way to fly, I could. If I, if I had the means, the money, the opportunity, I would figure out how to fly. Because that's, that's, that's how my mind works. Now, I had the mental break that caused me to experience mind over matter. I experienced mind over matter at 46, 47 years old. My entire life, all I ever wanted to be as a boy was athletic and muscular and talented in the physical space, right? All my life, I wanted to be, you know, liked by the girls or have a six pack or all of those little stupid things, right? 46 years old, if I wanted to do a certain type of pull-up, I would figure I would work at it till I was able to do it. If I was trying to do battle ropes, I did battle ropes. If I was doing spin, I just did it. Everything that I sought out to do, I was doing it and I was doing it hardcore. The mind over matter break that I had meant that I no longer gave up during workouts. Workouts stopped being about, oh, I can't do this. I'm so tired. I hate doing this. Workouts turned into, the only reason I'm stopping is because I have to go somewhere else. I only stop working out because I have to do something else. If, I, if it were up to me, I'd be the perfect soldier or the perfect professional athlete because I just don't stop. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that my performance is all that great. I mean, you know, obviously, if you start working out after hour two or three, you're probably not doing things as well as you were in hour one. But that doesn't stop me from continuing, from pushing, from pushing and pushing and pushing. So why do I say all of this? Why am I sharing all of this? Because when I had my mind over matter break, when I had my mental break, which caused me to develop mind over matter, something came over me, something incredible. My back 
started to straighten. I started to saunter when I walked. My eyebrow, which I can cock naturally like the rock, was starting to cock all the time. Um, I was not concerned about who I was in the room with because no one was in the room with me. My competition stopped being anyone other than me. That didn't mean that I didn't care about people. What it meant was that I was only focused on the only thing that I could control and the only thing that I wanted to control, which was me. So what did that mean? That meant I had swagger. I had swagger. I had swagger. And it was mine. It wasn't because I was messing around in somebody's vagina. It wasn't because I had the hottest girl or the best job or anything. I was unemployed and I was by myself and I was trying to have a conversation with someone over IG who lived in California. I had nothing but me. And all of my swagger was exploding forth from inside of me. Mission accomplished. Gardener Eric Payne sitting in American Pancake House crying over your chorizo omelet. Mission accomplished. Thank you, Gardner Chorizo Omelet Eating Eric, crying literally in public that you didn't want to mess around with other women. Thank you, Eric, who refused to take the advice of the legion of men that said, just get yours, just have sex, just do whatever. Now, ultimately, that started to happen, but not until after I started doing the work on me. Thank you and thank God. Thank you, Eric. And thank God for putting whatever it was in me at that time when I didn't know up from down and right from left and night from day. But I knew enough to not mess up some woman's life or get entwined or entangled with some woman for the sake of boosting my juju. My juju is now branded Eric Payne Incorporated. It was mine and no one could take it from me. No one could tell me who I was and no one could tell me who I wasn't. And I was officially, as we say in the black community, a problem. Because if you can't tell somebody something, meaning if you can't tear a person down, if you can't hate on them, I mean, you can hate on them. But if they're unfazed by that, then that means that they're not going to not accomplish the things that they're going to accomplish. The only thing that is in the way of a person that becomes a problem is themselves. And Eric Payne officially became a problem. Why? Because his juju, because his self-worth, because he officially became self-determined. And that's a beautiful thing. It sets you free. You begin to experience life at this like evolved heightened level because it's not dependent on the thoughts, feelings, and opinions of others. And I hope each and every person that's listening to this right now can experience this for at least a day or two or forever once you get to that point because it's freedom. It doesn't matter what your finances are. It doesn't matter what your relationship is. It doesn't matter who your parents, what kind of parents you came from. It doesn't matter who you, who you know or who you don't know. The only thing that matters is who you are and what you can control. And it allows you to have gratitude and appreciation for everything and empathy for others. I didn't know it then and I know it, but I know it now. In developing that, 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 that juju, as I've been referring to it, I stumbled 
headfirst into self-love. And the Bible says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And all of us Christians, a lot of times, will run around and say, well, let me do what I would do for, you know, based on the Bible saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Let me love up on my neighbor as much as I possibly can, because that's what the Bible says to do. No, the Bible says to love your neighbor as you love yourself, which means you got to love yourself first. And once I moved into that space of self-determination, of having my own swagger, of self-love, I began to truly understand what love was, is, and what it is not. Because for the first time, the adventure that was learning and loving who Eric Payne is became real. Anybody who heard or bore witness to what I shared, it was easy for them to confuse arrogance with confidence, or even better, to conflate arrogance as confidence. Oh my God, did you hear him? Oh my God, he's so arrogant. Oh, 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 he think he think he all that. Why he think he think he all that though? I don't know why I do that. Because I definitely love the sound of sisters. And I don't believe anyone listening to this. I don't believe for any second that people sound like that. However, I have been spoken to like that. So let me clear up the arrogance thing real quick. I don't think that I am better than a soul on this planet. Because we are each here on purpose. Divine purpose. Whether you believe that or agree with that or not. That's what I believe. And I don't believe for a second I don't believe for one second that I am better than a soul here because we're all here on purpose. But I for damn sure don't believe that anyone is better than me either. And I am confident in that. I am confident in what I bring to the table and I am confident in what I do not bring to the table. I'm confident in who I am. Flaws and all. And I make no bones about it. And I'm unapologetic about it. So me being a problem, actually, was a good thing. Why? Because then I boldly approached my IG crush in California and said, Hey, look, I need to have a heart-to-heart with you. She said, sure, what's up? So, here's the deal. I recently got laid off from a position. I was making a good amount of money. I was comfortable. As you know, I went through a divorce you're, you know, in the same situation. I'm trying to manage things. I'm taking a professional development course. I am looking to get back into the game, obviously, because I can't afford to not with a child and with some of the expenses that I doubled up on, you know, trying to save my marriage and living in two properties, you know, having an apartment and still paying on things, you know, for the sake of trying to, you know, win back my ex. But right now it's not looking, it's not looking too bright. I'm living off my severance. I'm living off my savings. And again, you know, I don't have, I have every confidence in the world that things are going to work out, but things aren't what they need to be right now. 
And I understand that you left this situation that you were in or this, one of the things that was a driving wedge in the situation that you were in was finances. And I'm, I'm, I'm assuring you that you are not going from one, you know, from the fire, frying pan into the fire or from one frying pan into a different frying pan of the same, you know, I don't know, iron, you know, a, a tiger with different stripes, but still a tiger. I'm letting you know my deal. It's not the same. However, I cannot predict the future. I do not know how long this is going to last. And I don't want you to view me as a backward step or a sidestep or a lateral move when you are trying to move forward. So I just want to put that out there. I mean, I hope you wouldn't view me that way, but I understand if you wouldn't want to try to see what's up with someone who's currently not bringing in money. But I'm working to bring in money, but I'm not. I'm just not right now. Being unconcerned and unbothered. I mean, I was truly worried because I didn't want to lose something that I hadn't gotten a chance to even learn about. But I had to come clean. I mean, it was going to come up eventually. I had to come clean. But, you know, this this whole self-love piece that I just finished describing in the last segment allowed me to say what I said to her unflinchingly. And she said, okay. She thanked me for my honesty. She appreciated my honesty and thanked me for my thoughtfulness and told me that she thought that she would be all right because at least I was trying to find work. At least, you know, the situation had like just happened and just come out from underneath me. And it sounded based on the way I described it, that it was out of my control. And, you know, for the most part, I mean, I'm, you know, everything is within our control. But, you know, the little things that I did here and there that probably led up to me being put on the list to get laid off again, season two. But, yeah, I was trying to control as many variables as I could. And I couldn't control the fact that at the end of the day, I was laid off in the middle of the day while I was working. Our conversations continued to evolve from that point forward until we decided that it was time to reconnect, to see each other in person again after what had to have been, hmm, Eight years, seven years, six, seven years. And we agreed on a we we found a place that we both could agree on one she hadn't been to in a long time and one that I loved to visit. And that was New Orleans. The French Quarter, New Orleans, New Orleans, however you like to pronounce it, Louisiana. I had the perfect hotel where we could stay at because it was the hotel that I stayed at when I used to visit my son when he was down there for school. And I knew all the restaurants that we could go to because of all the restaurants that I visited when he was down there for school. And when he finished it, when he finished going to school there, he started working in the restaurant business there. So I had an inside track on what places were what the plan was set. It hadn't been executed on yet, but the plan was set and I was excited. I could not wait to eat my way through the city of New Orleans. Something I did every time I went to the city of New Orleans. And I couldn't wait to get a nibble on my IG crush from California. That is, if she allowed it. But she was willing to meet up with me, and she wasn't talking about getting a double room. So, ha <laughs> ha! I was on my way. This has been another episode of the Dating After Divorce Survival Guide. The poem featured in this episode is called Tapestry. It's from the book called I See Through Eyes, written by me. For more information, check the show notes. There's a link for the book in the show notes. Thank you for tuning in. Please like, 
subscribe, share, let folks know. Use the hashtag DatingAfterDivorce and continue to be a supporter. I appreciate it. I really enjoy doing this. I'm thankful to be able to look back on my life and have a testimony that I can happily share with others to hopefully help them experience some of the breakthroughs that I've experienced so that they can go on and do better and show better and live better and maybe turn around and do the same for the people behind them, whether that's their children, family members, people that, you know, they can be an example to because you never know who's watching you. And you never know how your actions can impact people for the better or for the worse. So I try to live my life. I try. I'm not perfect, but I try to live my life for the betterment of others so that they can turn around and make other people's lives better. That's the goal. That's the hope. As always, be great, be wonderful, be amazing, be powerful, be intentional, be authentic, be truthful, be real, be unapologetic, be magical, be a unicorn, be profound, be transformed, be swagalicious, be honest, be fair, be equitable, be graceful, be gracious, be empathetic, be kind, be kind to yourself, be forgiving, be forgiving to yourself, be understanding, be understanding of others. And most importantly of all, in all of that, good, bad, and indifferent, be you.